Now, grab your Bibles, if you will, and open them to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. And let me read you eight verses, the first eight verses of Acts chapter 8. Here we go. And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits came out of many who were possessed crying with a loud voice, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Hey guys, this morning's sermon is the number, is the third sermon in a package of four that have to do with the future uh, ministry of Gracie Van. I hope you'll be able to listen to all four of them. Um, the fourth in that series will not be preached until the 17th of October. We have the Lord's Supper next week. But really, it's the second half of this morning's sermon, and it'll be preached, as I said, on the 17th, two weeks from today. But I want to warn you. It's about money. I haven't done that in years. Seven, ten years. If you've been around here long, you know how true that is. But guys, if we're going to get serious about accomplishing the Great Commission, it's going to involve our resources. And everybody will make sacrifices to accomplish the Great Commission. So, on the 17th, consider yourself warned. Guys, I hope you notice that our text opens with a statement of rather enigmatic statement about Saul approving of his execution. Whose execution? Well, Stephen's execution. And his, um, his execution is uh, described for you in chapter 7, the, the chapter immediately preceding 8. Uh, we're told in chapter 7 that as a result of Stephen's testimony before the Sanhedrin, we're told in one place, I think it's verse uh, 54, When they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. (laughs) Because uh, Stephen shared his testimony with the Sanhedrin, they were so angry that they ground their teeth at him and ultimately picked up stones and stoned him and killed him. It's that execution that Saul approved. It was the same execution that created quite a crisis in the church in Jerusalem. Um... So much so that you see, and it's mentioned twice, that the church scattered. The word scattered is mentioned twice in those eight verses. The church scattered. But the crisis 
was something that produced a gain, not a loss. And that's what I want to, one of the things I want to explain to you. Keep your finger in Acts chapter 8 and go over to Acts chapter 1. Guys, when I say the Great Commission, many of you think of Matthew chapter 28. And rightly so. But there are at least four Great Commission texts in the New Testament. One of them is found in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Look at it. Acts 1.8 says this, last half of it. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost and to the ends of the earth. Now, gang, up to this point in chapter 8 that we just read, up to this point, the church had pretty much been confined and limited to Jerusalem. Pardon me. The apostles clung to Jerusalem. And so as a result of this crisis that occurred with the... um, With the stoning of Stephen, God steers that period of persecution to accomplish something that he intended all along. Guys, um, it's important that you see what led to the event of chapter 8. That is the stoning of Stephen. Because what I'm suggesting is that you get an insight into the mind of God in in uh, this event of chapter 8. The point is, God's intention is for the gospel to be taken outside of Jerusalem. And so what God does is steer a period of persecution to to perform or to, to see that Acts chapter 1, verse 8, is obeyed. Do you see what I'm saying? All along, it was his intention that the gospel go way beyond Jerusalem. But up to this point, the gospel was pretty much confined to the city of Jerusalem. And so God orchestrates a set of circumstances such that the church is thrust out of Jerusalem and into the surrounding areas. Now, as those people were had to leave their homes, sure they were they were they were scared. They were upset. There was the whole trauma of relocation and all that. But all the while, God is smiling. Not not over their pain. He is smiling because the people of God were on the move. And to effect that, no price was too high to pay in the mind of God. The only ones that get left behind are the apostles. They stay in Jerusalem. You're told that in verse 1. In a very real sense, God doesn't need them. The apostles, that is. God's people don't need them either, in one sense. What they need is the dependence upon the Holy Spirit. The, the, the kingdom of Jesus Christ does not need a headquarters. All it needs is the power and the might of the Holy Spirit. And so, ordinary 
vanilla rank-and-file Christians are on the move. They are thrust out of Jerusalem. And they would have never moved had they not been pressured to do so by this act of persecution or this period of persecution in Jerusalem. Now, guys, back in Acts 8, notice verses 6, 7, and 8. Can I read those again? And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits came out of many who were possessed, crying with a loud voice, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in the city. Guys, I want you to notice at whose hands all of that is taking place. At the hands of the apostles? No, no. Um, it's ordinary rank and file Christians that get driven out into the surrounding areas. And in this instance, specifically Philip and God has seen fit to use this ordinary rank and file in glorious ways. Now gang, wouldn't, wouldn't you like to be a part of something like that? Wouldn't you like to be a part of a church that's that's alive, that, that is that alive? Wouldn't you like to be a part of all this, some of these supernatural things that are going on? Wouldn't you want to be a part of something that produces such joy citywide? Well, that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. I have two parts. A plan and a plea. So first of all, let's let's talk about a plan. Now, guys, before I give you the details of the plan, I want to give you the assumptions on which the plan is based. There are two of them. Two assumptions on which the plan that I'm about to give you is based. Here is the first assumption. Never is the church healthier and more alive than when the laity is mobilized. Getting people out of the stands, onto the field, and into the game. That's when the church, any church, is most healthy, most alive. Someone has said rather disparagingly, they said, Christians are like manure. He said, um, spread them all out and they help everything around them grow better. But if you keep them all together in one pile, oh, they smell horribly. Gang, did you notice where all of this business is taking place? It's taking place in Samaria of all places. Samaria. Don't you remember the parable of the good Samaritan and the one woman at the water at the well and, and she was a Samaritan woman and everybody hated the Samaritans and you're not supposed to go through Samaria and you're supposed to go around it because it's so defiled. We just hate Samaria. That's where this is taking place. Now, go back over to Acts 1-8. Go back over to the Great Commission in Acts chapter 1-8. Look at it. It says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and 
to the end of the earth. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, do you know what's on the way to Samaria? I bet you guessed it. All Judea. The intention of God as expressed in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 is being fleshed out in Acts chapter 8 as a result of God stirring the pot. And, and the, the, the result that is important to us is the average vanilla rank and file members of the Christian church were scattered out into their surrounding areas. And as a result of that, good, great, healthy, supernatural stuff begin to take place. Guys, there's a story that's told about Oliver Cromwell. Um, if you know any history, you know that the English Civil War took place in 1695 or so. And the first prime minister of England, uh, that's when England became a commonwealth. And the first prime minister of England was Oliver Cromwell. And he was told by his assistants that um, the kings who they had unseated had left the country and taken all the gold. There was no gold in the country. And uh, he was further told that the only gold that's left is the gold statues of the saints in the churches. To which Oliver Cromwell is said to have replied... Then melt down the saints and get them into circulation. Guys, that's what's happening. That's what's going on in Acts chapter 8. The people of God are being melted down and being thrust into circulation. There's a little heat that's applied. And then the Christians are scattered. And the result is verses 6, 7, and eight. Guys, in a lot of way, we clergy, we types, we do you a vast disservice by making you far too dependent on us. Yes, you do need to be taught or else God wouldn't put the office of teacher into the church. But you also need to be unleashed. Somebody needs to tell you, get them. Check them! You know, about a year ago, there was a movie that was being advertised on television. I didn't see the movie. Uh, I just saw the advertisement, the, the TV spots. And it was, um, it was, I think the movie was The Clash of the Titans, I think. I'm not sure about that, but it was this, it was Liam Neeson, and I love ne- Liam Neeson as an, as an actor. Um, he was in Schindler's List. I, I, you, you might know, but I just like Liam Neeson. And it's this, this one scene on the TV spot is this spot of Liam Neeson standing on this big rock with this big beard. He's standing on this big rock with this giant, ugly monster in the back of him. And here's all he says. Unleash the Cretan! Somebody needs to stand in front of the people of God and say, Unleash the laity! Somebody needs to say to you that never is the Christian church healthier, more alive than when you 
are mobilized. That's the first assumption. Here's the second one. We don't trust you. We don't trust you. But we do trust the Holy Spirit that is within you. Guys, the staff and the elders are not the only people in this church who have good ideas. But more importantly, the staff and the elders are not the only people in this church who are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. You are also indwelt by that same Spirit. And who knows what God is up to in your life? And who knows who God wants to ultimately use to do something mighty in His name? Guys, could you tell me the name of the person who led Martin Luther to Christ? Could you tell me the name of the person who led Dwight L. Moody to Christ? Neither could I. And that's the point. No name Christian somewhere God saw fit to use in this extraordinary way. He expects of each of us that we get into circulation. And so he speaks to us. He guides us. He prompts us. He leads us. He inspires us. As individual believers to accomplish the maximum expansion of the kingdom of God. That is his intent. Our role as clergy is to simply keep you within biblical parameters. And to help you think biblically about what it is that God is saying to you. Those are the assumptions of the plan on which the plan is based. Now... Let's talk about the plan. And we're not going to spend a whole lot of time here, guys, because you're going to be hearing it again and again and again in the coming months and years. In the past, we have accomplished missions by three different committees. Global missions, community missions, and Grace Venture. That has been our three committees that has helped us to accomplish the Great Commission. What we're, what we're recommending now is a whole different plan. We want to decentralize all of that and place it in your hands. Can I get my first slide back there? Is it up? There it is. Guys, we have three committees. We used to. Now, we're going to have one committee. The Grace Venture Strategy Committee. And the, 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 the purpose of that committee is to listen to ideas that you bring them so that they can manage and fund and oversee so that we don't go beyond biblical parameters. The key piece of this plan, guys, are those little blue circles that you see on the sides. They're called MITs. Let me have that second slide now. The, um, the MIT, MIT stands for Ministry Initiative Team. Guys, what, what a Ministry Initiative Team is is simply a, it's an idea. It's a burden. It's a project. It's a, it's a dream that God has given to you. As to how some piece of ministry might take place. It's, um, it's, it's, let's just say that you're burdened with, um, uh, rocking babies down at Labonner. So what we want you to do is say, that's what God has asked of me. 
And so I am going to collect a group of people who are like-minded about this burden, this ministry that God has pressed upon my soul. I am going to gather myself together an MIT. There's going to be a team leader. There's going to be some team players. We, if you need funding, you will come to the Grace Venture uh, Strategy Commission, uh, com, uh, Committee. You will get approval of funding. And then you're off. We want you in charge. We want you to lead. We want to enable you to carry out the dream and the burden and the ministry that God has laid on your heart. You recruit people who have a like-minded vision and burden and, and, and get moving. Guys, this brochure that's in your hands now lays all of this out for you. There is even, on the back, a little response card. Let's say that you've already been thinking about something. Fill it out, put it in the little black baskets on the back. Read the card. Just say, okay, I don't know, I don't know what I want to do, but I want to be a part of something. Put me down for one of those. Guys, do you know the name Chris Kerstell? Chris Kerstell is a guy who has, who is battling ALS. Most of you know that. ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease. But for years, he's a computer wizard. For years, he had a dream of putting together promotional DVDs for ministries so that they could raise funds from their donors. Expert, slick, good DVDs that are not sloppily done and poorly done. So that, so that ministries like Neighborhood Christian Center could use them to go to their donors and show them what they're doing. That was his dream. That, ladies and gentlemen, is what's known as the MIT. That was my dream. Do you know the name Andy Randall? Do you know that name? Do you know that Andy Randall is pretty much serving Jesus Christ through FCA at Ridgeway High School? Did you know that? What about you? What we're saying, guys, is we want dozens of those. We want to mobilize the laity. Having been taught here, um, we want you out there. Gang, we exist for them. And, and it is our dream to have 100% of our congregation either in or leading an MIT. You got further questions? We'll answer them in the coming days. But hopefully you get the concept. Based on Acts 8, seeing God's people thrust out into the surrounding regions. Dream, ladies and gentlemen. What is it that God has said to you? What is it that you feel like he's asked you to do? Go find some others. Put together a team. Get yourself some funding. And go get it done. That's the new plan. You can turn it off now. Now, let me, let me spend my remaining minutes on a plea. Um, guys, uh, the Holy Spirit wants to use you. And he has gifted you and equipped you to accomplish something that nobody else in the body of Christ can accomplish. His intention is that you be somehow in circulation. Are you?
If not, why not? Guys, wouldn't you rather, wouldn't you rather be on the field playing the game than in the dugout watching the game? I mean, um, it, it seems to me that the Holy Spirit never intended for any of us to be mere spectators of the professionals. Guys, what, what's, what's stopping you? Oh, but Jimmy, I'm, I'm just an ordinary no name, nobody. Don't ever say that. Don't ever use that again. I have just removed that from you as a possible excuse as to why you are not in some kind of circulated ministry opportunity. That's gone forever. Can't ever use that one again. You know, there's a, there's an author that is quite popular today. Her name is Annie Dillard. She's got about five or six books in print and people love them and she's real hip and, and, and the people love what she writes. And Annie Dillard said this. This is one of the things she writes. She said, how we live our days is how we live our lives. Tell me, my brother and sister in Christ. How do you live your days? I, I'm sure in a congregation like this, it varies from, from boredom to exhaustion. I'm going to call you the piddlers and the paddlers. That is, you're piddling or you're paddling just to keep up with the, the race you put yourself in. L- let me, let me speak first to the, the piddlers. Just a word to you who are bored. Guys, do you really want to watch more CNN? And watch the clock move so slowly. Wouldn't you enjoy just a little bit of verses 6, 7, and 8 in your life? Don't you long for something exhilarating? Well, yeah, Jimmy, I do. But, 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 but how? You know, guys, I, I don't know about you, but I, I, I want to I wanna put myself in places where, where God has to come through for me. You know, you've heard me say this before. The more risk you take, the more alive you feel. And I think that's what the Bible means when it says faith. The more risk you take, the more alive you feel. Yeah, Jimmy, that's... that's that's what I want to be a part of. But how? I read a book just recently uh, called, uh, the title of it was In the Hands of Providence. It was about the life of Joshua Chamberlain. If you know the name of Joshua Chamberlain, he was a Union general in the Civil War. He uh, commanded the 20th Maine that is credited with uh, winning Gettysburg because the 20th Maine was the, uh, the brigade or whatever it was that um, held on to Little Round Top. After eight different assaults by the Confederates, and finally they they ran out of bullets and and just uh, used um, the um, whatever those things are on the end. Um, but but anyway, um, they held it little round top, and he's credited with winning Gettysburg. He was a hero. He then went on to be the governor of the state of Maine, and you know just a great and, and quite a brother, uh, believer in Christ. But early on in his life, in the in the book, when he was twelve, he was out with his father, and they were baling hay. 
And um, while they were baling hay, one of the wheels of the wagon got wedged between two large stumps. And his daddy looks at his 12-year-old son and he said, son, um, clear that. And um, and Joshua said, well, dad, how? And his dad said, do it. That's how. And Joshua Chamberlain said, that became a rule for my life. Do it. That's how. There's a bias for action, not for passivity. My friend, are you ready to get out of your recliner? Then do it. That's how. Gang, one of the reasons that we have missions conferences is to show you the plethora of opportunities that exist for you around our city. If you'd have been here Wednesday night, you would have heard dozens, scores of opportunities for you to plug in someplace around the city. You know, we Presbyterians, I mean, you ain't a Presbyterian, but I'm a Presbyterian. They say about us Presbyterians that we are people who love to sit and think and mostly sit. Well, you know, you're more Presbyterian than you think. Gang, do you really want to watch more CNN? Can you tell me who won the national championship in college football five years ago? You can't. Why, I thought that was the biggest thing going. Guys, you were meant for more than that. And the days of sitting and souring are over. You've got some time left today to find some of these people who are serving Jesus Christ around this city and go get them. Go get them and say, where can I plug in? Okay, that's a word to the board. Let me, let me, the piddlers. Let me, let me, let me have a word with the paddlers, the ones that are just paddling like crazy just to keep up. Exhausted. Now let me tell you what I think the biggest obstacle, at least at Gracie Van, I don't know about the other churches in the city, but at least at Gracie Van, one of the things that keeps us out of circulation, it, it's, it's true for a lot of us, maybe not all of us, but a lot of us here at Gracie Van. And that is, we have way too much disposable income. And because we do, we have options. Options that will allow us to um, fritter away. Let me give you an example. Let's say you have a second vacation getaway home. And since you've got so much money invested in that thing, you've got to use it. And the best time to use it, of course, is weekends. And then your son plays competitive baseball and your daughter cheers. Newsflash. You're done. As far as spiritual usefulness is concerned, you're cooked. You're toast as far as kingdom involvement is concerned. So if you are really dissatisfied about the advance of your soul... My friend, you've got some decisions to make. You're doomed to be a dabbler. And maybe being a dabbler is all you want. Fine. 
But if you're frustrated and wondering why your soul is, is, is shriveling up to nothing, then you've heard at least part of the explanation. What I'm saying is that because of this disposable income, we have used our money to so complicate our lives that we are basically unavailable. Guys, as far as being a part of a mobilized laity and experiencing any of this, it ain't going to happen for you. You're left behind. And I know that you tell yourself that it's for our kids, it's for our family, and no doubt some good, sweet family times are had. But guys, listen. Do you know what your kids are telling us? Do you know what your kids are saying to us and the, on the church staff? They're saying that your plan is not working. What they're saying to us is that one of the greatest fears that they have is that they're going to end up with a life just like their parents. Bored. Material. Shallow, where the only excitement that's ever had is when we got new granite countertops. Guys, in the main, we have a bunch of fine parents in this church who are well-meaning. But may I say to you, I'm afraid you've been misinformed. Misinformed as to how to give your life, give your kids a meaningful life and meaningful future. Teach them to serve. Teach them to give. Teach them to sacrifice. And they'll thank you. You know, I know of an instance of a Christian school where the, I don't know whether it was 6th graders, 7th graders, or 8th graders, but it was one of those, 6th, 7th, or 8th graders. And there was a big squabble, big mess in the school. Because we'll just say the 8th graders. But I, it could have been the 6th graders. The 8th graders all had iPhones. And you know what they were doing with their iPhones? They were looking at porn with the iPhones that you bought. Change the way you teach them. Model for them sacrifice and giving and service. Guys, This is what we were made for. Using all our gifts and skills and our spheres of influence to bring glory to God out there where where the challenges are big and 
out there where God shows up. And where his deliverances are huge. After the, um, the tsunami of 2004 around Christmas time that, you know, went roll through all those Indonesian countries and killed so many, there was an NPR broadcast, National Public Radio broadcast, where the interviewer was interviewing a Buddhist, a Muslim, and a Christian as to their perspectives on the tsunami. And the Buddhist explained that he didn't really believe in a personal God, and thus any natural disaster like this is just an inevitable part of fate. The Muslim had a more pointed diagnosis. Um, he said that the reason for the tsunami was um, was punishment because all the Muslims in the area were not taking their religion seriously enough. And then the the, the interviewer um, said to his listening audience, he said, um, I want you to know that it was mostly Buddhists and Muslims that were killed. And then he gave the microphone to the, the Christian and asked him to give his perspective. And, and the Christian said something like, this is not exactly right, but he said something like this. He said, I have no good explanation for why such a thing happens, and I wouldn't dream of trying to give you God's purposes and God's involvement. But I can tell you this. We as God's people are on the ground in Indonesia because we follow a man who defined love by telling a story called the Good Samaritan where an outcast gives mercy and grace to someone who was his ethnic and religious opponent. And then that one who told that parable then goes on to display love by dying in the place of those very opponents. Guys, That's why we're on the ground. You know, Martin Luther used to say there was only two days on his calendar. This day and that day. And that day to which he referred was the day that he would stand before God and give an account for the one life that he had been given. Guys, as people who have been purchased by the shed blood of Jesus Christ... We ask along with the psalmist, what shall I render to the Lord for all of his benefits towards me? And then the psalmist goes on to answer it and says, I will lift up the cup of salvation. And that can be done in a hundred different ways. Ladies and gentlemen, success at Grace Evan is not measured by how many people we can get in here. It is measured by how many people we can get out there. My brother and sister in Christ, consider yourselves Unleashed. Oh God, I pray I can't produce one smidgen of change. But I pray that you will. I pray that you will use 
the vain babblings of a sinful preacher to stir the hearts of your people that we might find ourselves out of our safe, our spiritual safe deposit boxes and into the places that you intended us to be in the first place. Now, O oh God, show us what you want from us. For Jesus' sake.